is... Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice. And this is me, Michael Q, I'm here. Roger Bell West. And uh, that above us is the rain. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. They, we were complaining about the heat of summer, and September has turned to rain and not so much heat. Oh, well, we're British, we can, we, we're used to this. Um, this month, uh, what have we got for you? Oh, you've got an old game out of the cupboard. We've got to talk about death and other miserable things. We've got some campaigns that we don't have time to run, but maybe you do. And general chat about gaming. We're starting with another of our series of games dragged from the back of the uh, cupboard. Well, they have lain for a while. We'll take another look at them. Roger, tell me about Torg. Torg was published in 1990 by West End Games. Mm-hmm. It was explicitly cinematic. It was one of the first that was trying to be pulpy in sensibility. Mm-hmm. Player characters are larger than life heroes. They're helping fight off the invasion of modern Earth by alien realities. <laughs> Not just alien invaders, but they, they bring their own rules of reality with them. Yeah. So there, there is the fantasy realm, there is the, the cyberpunk realm, there is the horror realm. These, I, these I seem to recall Britain was the fantasy realm. Yes. Uh, fr- France was the cyberpunk realm with, with, with twisted um, anti-Catholicism mixed in, which was quite fun, actually. Um, most of the US became the living land, which was... Lost, lost worlds, dinosaurs, shamans, that sort of thing. Couldn't happen to a nice nation. And so on. Yeah. My, my history with this is I played a fairly extended campaign when it came out, um, but dropped away from the game while it was still being published, mm-hmm. because the group moved on to other things. The, the game itself went on to about 94. Which for a, a very dedicated system isn't bad. But... Yeah, well, one, one of the things it was sort of trying to be was a generic system within a pulpy sensibility. Talk meant the other role-playing game. Yes. It, it, there are various accounts of what, what that was originally meant to stand for. It, it was probably an internal code name, and they, they just never got around to coming up with a better title for it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, well, the, the good stuff about it. Um, it was a unified system in, in a day when those were still fairly new things. Um, your basic way of doing pretty much anything is you roll a d20, you look it up on a chart, so you get yeah, maybe up to about plus 10 or minus 10 out of that, but it's not quite linear. You, you add your stat and skill, and you compare it against the target value. And basically everything is done that way. Yeah. Uh, it's one of, one of the first games that let you spend experience points to increase an individual role. Um, that's what a hero, hero point or plot point mechanic, whatever yeah. you want to call it. They call it possibilities because it ties into the game background. Uh, so you spend one of those, you get an extra roll, and you, you add it on. Mm-hmm. And basically, the higher your bonus, the better you succeed. Yeah. So if you're shooting somebody, it's your dexterity stat plus your firearm skill plus your bonus against their dodge. Do you spend the point before or after? After you've rolled. Okay, thought so. But you can only spend one. Right. Uh, but yes, you do, you do know where you are before you, before you start spending it. But then, what, once you've hit them, you take the gun's damage, plus the same bonus, against their toughness, to see how much you've wounded them. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and one, one of the effects of this is that he, even a tiny weapon can sometimes hurt someone who is hugely tough. Why? Oh, because of big, big, Because you've got the bonus on it. Okay. Um, uh, for, for a cinematic setting, that's, that's I think, not no, unreasonable. Actually, for, for even for more realistic settings, sometimes people get ridiculously lucky. Yeah. Whereas in, in a more conventional system, you, you've got your, your gun does 1d6 and I've got 15 armor points. I can I can stand here all day and you can go ping. Uh, anyway, the, the the wound system is similarly cinematic. It stresses incapacitation over death. If you actually want to kill somebody, it's really quite hard work. Whether you're a, whether you're a PC or or an enemy. Mm-hmm. On top of this, I have the universal uh, scale system. Uh, one of, one of the designers of Torg had previously worked on DC Heroes, yeah, uh, which, which had I think the first of these uh, log scale where each plus one doubled. Yeah, which for a superior game is reasonable enough. This this was every plus five g- gave you a times ten multiplier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if if something had a value of eighteen, that could be an hour of spell duration, or four tons of something you could lift, or two and a half miles, or the damage of a Winchester rifle. Or, yeah. Um, it was particularly handy in that when you were designing stuff, you could very easily trade off plus one point on one thing, minus one point on the other thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, th- this this spell goes further but does less damage, and that stayed reasonably balanced, uh, and it kept the resolution low, so the game moves fairly fast. Okay. So what what one eighteen you nineties know, rifle is very much like another eighteen nineties rifle. There, yeah. there might be minor things, but it's not hugely important. Unfortunately, they did make a slight calculation error with speeds. Basically, you you actually get to move ten times further than you should be able to, and no, nobody noticed this for many years. That's that's a fairly large thing not to notice in plague tests. Well, yes, but maybe, maybe it was appropriately cinematic. Well, yeah. Um, the, the, one of my long-term rants is every game design should be looked over by a competent mathematician in whatever bit of maths the game is abusing. Usually this is probability and stats. In this mm-hmm. case, it should have been logs as well. <laughs> I, I will admit that most, uh, most gamers can ma- manage... Addition and subtraction. A few can manage multiplication, but well, I, I think one of the points of this log scale system was by by doing addition and subtraction, you get the effect of multiplication without mm. having to do all that all that hard maths. Yeah, I never did understand that. I know people who are completely put off a rule system by the fact that one optional part of it involves taking a cube root or something. Yeah, about um, holding up hand here. I'll ask you about that sometime when we have beer. Anyway, <laughs> okay. The, the big mechanical innovation, apart from all these, was the thing they called the drama deck. Uh, this was a deck of custom cards, yeah. which had a bunch of different purposes. Uh, it's a sort of early attempt of nar- at narrativist gaming, in a sense, yeah. uh, in that when, when you hold the right cards, you you can get some sort of bonus. Um, but it's, it's not the only thing that's happening. So what, one of the things it does is if you've got an extended action like I'm, I'm trying to get this computer hacked while everybody else holds off the bad guys, mm-hmm. uh, you, you, you can use it to time a thing like that. You, you need to turn up a card with an A on it and then turn up a card with a B on it and so on. And not, if you're sufficiently good, you can turn up an A and B at the same time and do them both and do it quickly. I'm not sure I follow, but... Um... I, I remember seeing the cards. There was there was narrative text on them. Um, yeah. Well, that, that that's just one of the things. There are also approved actions. In other words, if you if you do this particular thing this round, as it might be talk to the opposition as opposed to just shooting at them, mm-hmm. uh, you you get bonus cards. 
Uh, okay, so the scenario had um, do this right and and you get a reward. Well, this is this is the deck. It's not tied to a particular scenario. Okay, you can use it all through the game. At, at some point in the fight, somebody may well turn up a card that says now is a good time to talk to the opposition, and the, the reward you get for doing this yeah. is that you get extra cards. But also, it means that fights don't just generate into I'm going to use my best to get this back against him again. Okay, so. Oh. It's a it's a narrative interrupt attempt from the from the game mechanics. Yeah, um, you, you also got uh, get occasional subplot cards, um, and the, the player can say, "Okay, I'm going to choose whether to accept this or not. If I do, then I'm then I'm going to have complications for a bit, but I'm going to get and get bonus possibilities, bonus experience points at what's the end." A, what's a subplot? Uh, th- th- things like. Um, a, a romance, either, either with a with a friendly NPC or with an enemy one. Mm, that's fun, yeah. Or or a mistaken identity. The sort of the sort of thing that one might one might well see as a GURPS disadvantage, which one's taking on temporarily. Hmm. Yeah. That, hang on. Were these one deck or? Were it was it was one deck with a whole bunch of different functions. Okay. Uh, d- during a combat, um, the GM would have a hand of them. The players would each have a hand of them, mm. possibly safe from previous combats, and the. There would also be one turned over each round to say, "Here is the specific thing that you should you might be thinking about trying to do this round." Okay. It's harder to explain than it is, than it is actually to use. The, the layout was reasonably good, and once you got the hang of them, you could see, "Okay, this is what I can do." Um, the, one of the other effects they would have is give a slight advantage to one side or the other, so you get a certain amount of ebb and flow of combat. Yeah. And. I, I should say, the, the game I was in didn't use these, and I've never quite understood why the GM chose not to. If, if you're out there, Gerard, I'm still curious. Uh, some people did object to them. The, the rules very carefully say that if you don't want to, want to use this, you don't have to. They, they, they make a point of this. I'm not quite sure what re- people really objected to at the time. Well, it's, not, I, it's not very gamer. It's not very wargamerish. It's not, it's not quite in the... In the in the feel of gaming as we did it then. It, it does mean your, your effective competence level goes up and down and sideways pretty yeah. much at random. You know, r- right, right now, yes, I could shoot you as I normally do, but if I, if I do that, I won't be as effective as usual. I, I ought to uh, wang, yeah, wang but my there, there, are pe- there are people who are very proud of their, their character build, their, what their character can do, and they don't want it screwed over at random. But yeah. on the other hand... Or, by that stage, we'd already had the whimsy cards out of uh, <laughs> line rampant, and, and yeah, ideas like, which, is, which is where I'm sure this comes from. In part. Yeah, I think the timing's timing's about right for that. And uh, but I, but I can see why it, why it might be something that would be resisted. This probably this probably leads through just as a matter of historical interest to the uh, to the card mechanics in um, in things in things like uh, Castle Falkenstein and. Um, and to lesser extent, uh, Savage Worlds, I think. Uh, yeah, it, it post-dates Lace and Steel, which was very much card-based with custom but, decks. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it certainly comes before those others. Um, as, as far as I'm concerned, possibly it's because I've been looking through this again um, in the context of this show, and no, knowing what I now do about other role-playing games that have been published since, it seems actually a relatively lightweight and painless mm. approach to this compared with what some games do. I'm consider something like um, Primetime Adventures, yeah. where your, your general competence level of your character will vary between one and three, depending on which episode it is and who's got the spotlight. 
Oh yeah, but that isn't quite the isn't quite the the, the same thing. I'm thinking more of of fate, where yep. what was an advantage a moment ago suddenly becomes a disadvantage now, and you 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 have to play to your disadvantages, or you won't be able to use them as advantages later. Yeah. Um, in a, in any case, the, these things took effect for one combat round. Yeah. Um, so if you didn't like it, there was always something else coming along. And yes, the, can I the, just say a love affair with somebody on the other side of the class on the combat <laughs> oh, round? Right, but yeah, the, the sub, do, yeah. But, but the subplots you do have to accept for them to take effect. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, these are nominally ten-second combat rounds, but you basically still just get to do one thing in them. Mm. More good stuff. Uh, axiom levels for different worlds. Oh god, now, this is one of the things I seem to call giving me trouble when I when I read the rules. Well, some some of them make more sense than others. Um, well, what is an axiom level for? The it, it is basically the, the, the level of sophistication of something, some, some broad field yeah. that the world supports. The, the, the canonical ones were magic, social, spiritual, and technological. Mm. Uh, and magic is probably the easiest one, because it's it's very much a close kin to GURPS mono level. Yeah. Uh, if, if the axiom level is too low, a particular magic simply won't work, or at least won't work reliably. Technology was the, is, is the tricky one conceptually. Yeah. Because if, if I've got um, a, a bloody big gun, why is the bloody big gun not working no more? The problem I have with it is that, at least in my worldview, the, the same chemical processes that, that allow your bloody big gun to fire are the ones that allow your mitochondria to work and you to stay alive. Yeah, right. And the fact that the electricity is off might cause you to worry about your nerves as well. It, it, it's, yeah. yeah. It, um, it's, a, it, it's, it's, a, it's an odd concept, which I, I, I think it is in a lot of games, and I think... It, it, it just doesn't make dreams. a lot of sense, but it does, it, it does have to get, one does have to go with the flow to some extent. Uh, the spiritual stuff works a bit like magic, but a bit like mono level, except that it also affects what sort of religion you'll get in the world. If mm. the spiritual axiom is very high, um, then you've got a one true religion that everybody knows it's the one true religion because it's the one that has the miracles that work. Yeah. Whereas if it's medium to low and things are a bit more unreliable, you can have competing religions, all of which may have working miracles. Which is, it, it's not, it doesn't flow automatically from that, it's the way it was set up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about social? Because I'm not quite sure what social, that can be. Yeah, social is, it, unlike the others, it doesn't, doesn't affect the PC's cool powers, mm. for the most part. Um, it basically limits the level of social organisation that is possible in a world. You, you, you try to go to the living land and set up a representative democracy, and people will simply fail to understand what you're talking about. Me chief. Oh. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I found that I mean, that's a bit weird. It is a bit weird. But a, a, a lot of what's going on here is, is that people are being warped and distorted by the axioms of the reality they're living in mm. um, to conform to them. I mean... The, the millions of people who were in the USA when it, when it became the lost world yeah. have not for the most part died, but a lot of them have not only become people who are tribal hunters and gatherers, yeah. but they, they may have some vague memories of it being different before, but basically as far as they're concerned, they've always been tribal hunters and gatherers. Mm. The difference for PCs is that they are possibility rated, meaning that they, they can resist this sort of influence. Yeah. Um, in terms of actual game mechanics, if if you are a PC going from one place to another, yeah. you can safely use stuff that's up to whichever is lower of the world you're in and where you came from. Mm -hmm. um, most of the time, you can Do use you lower of the, the yeah. 
So if, if, if you've got your contemporary gun, you can use it anywhere that's this tech level or higher. Yeah. Anywhere that's a bit lower, it starts to become slightly unreliable. Mm. If you've got a gun that's both more advanced than you and more advanced than the local technology, then it becomes extremely unreliable. Mm. Blowing up unreliable, or just this is a piece of junk unreliable? Uh, it can be either, uh, but the main problem is that you, the, the person who tried to use it can become disconnected from reality which in practice means you don't get any more experience points until you fix it. I'm disconnected from I must have been disconnected from reality for years. I well, one of the nice things about this is, is that um, it, it keeps low-tech characters playable because some, yeah. the, the, default, the default campaign has the PCs going to a whole bunch of different worlds and the, the guy with the spear is always going to be able to use that spear and throw it at people. Mm. Uh, where everybody else may, may need to start getting are the, are the PCs people who ever people who remember the way they are and have stayed the way they are? PCs pretty much by definition are possibility rated, meaning that they have resisted. Yeah, but if they have resisted totally, they haven't picked up the cool magical powers or cool super technological um, powers. Yeah, this was explained in a kind of fuzzy way, um, but the, the default um, party is, is certainly a very mixed one. It's got people from all sorts of different places. They, they may either be natives of one of the invading realms who, who's, who decided yeah. to join the good guys, or they may be people to whom the invasion happened yeah. who got transformed and then discovered that, hang on, I've got this reality manipulating thing as well. Mm. An, an interesting game, a lot of mechanics which are innovative and actually reasonably solid. Problems with it? it? Yes. Well, start with one that's really my, my personal taste. Um, the, the timing for how long a subplot lasts, the timing for a lot, of, a lot of special powers, is not on this wonderful logarithmic scale. It's in acts and scenes. Sometimes acts and scenes do not describe what the story is. Yeah. Yes. If you're going to... The consistency is all we ask. But yeah, it, it is a bit... It's, well, it's a heavy dose of narrative in, in, if, you, if you've got all that logarithmic mechanic in, in there. Yeah, and it, it's the same objection I had to D&D 4th edition when, where you've got powers that, that work once per fight, basically, or mm. rather than once per ten minutes. All right. I, I, yeah, you, you, you may, uh, may have been one of the people that, uh, the, that they put in there you don't have to use these cards for. Probably. I, I might have been. I, I'd like to try them out now, but anyway. Yeah. Um, there's a problem that's generally accepted by the people who are still playing the game at this point, uh, which is known as the Glass Jewel Ninja. <laughs> uh, and this, this flows out of that to hit and damage mechanic. Yeah. If you're trying to hit somebody, it's, it's your hitting people's skill versus their dodge yeah. plus the bonus. If they've got a really huge dodge, then you need a very big bonus to hit them. Particularly if you're not especially good at hitting people. Yeah, well, I think that's So most of the time you're going to miss. That's fine. Yeah. The problem is, because you needed that big bonus to hit them with, when you do the roll to damage, yeah. you will generally take them out of the fight in one blow. Be that's because, that, the, because the only time you're getting to the damage roll at all is when you have a huge bonus. Yeah, but that's... that's, that's I, I, can, I can see why people might object, but actually that, 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 that strikes me as perfectly reasonable. I am the big hulking barbarian with my sword. I'm giving all out attack on this pesky little ninja keeps dodging and diving because he's not wearing any armour, he's just being skilled. And when I hit him, I'm really going to hit him. Yes, but when you hit another big hulking barbarian, 
you can you can hit him either a bit or a lot. Yeah, but he's with an ninja, you can only ever hit him a lot. Yeah, but, but that's because Big Helping Barbarian has muscles on his muscles, <laughs> and, 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 and the skin uh, and the skin uh, of a rhinoceros, uh, and, and, they're, and, they're, and therefore is supposed to be able to stand up to that sort of thing. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> Excuse me, but the, nin the, the, the ninja is good at getting out of the way and shooting you from a distance. And, um, and in close-up combats, if he gets connected with, he's, he's, he's in deep trouble. I, I don't have a problem. Pass, pass on that. <laughs> One of the slight problems I, I, I thought was um, t you do tend to lose flavour. And if, if you are shooting somebody with a gun or a crossbow or a laser or a fireball, it, it's all the same mechanics. You've got mm. your skill, your roll, their dodge. Their, their toughness, your damage rating, it, it, it all kind kind of blurs together. It's similar in a way to what you what you had with uh, Hero Quest. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every, everything because a unified is a unified mechanic. Everything begins to look the same. Yeah. The the thing they tried to do to fix this mm. was actually another of the problems because it was source books. Oh yes. Now obviously but, now from that point of view. They, source they, books yeah. are a feature. They had to produce source books because they wanted people to keep buying stuff. That's fair enough. Um, the problem was that they tended to expand the rules by adding subsystems like a, a spell design system or a, or a gadget design system yeah. for, for the realm that had gadgets in it. Um, effectively, mini games. Um, they, they managed to invalidate some of the template characters from the basic book in the uh, process. Yeah, um, have boys. But the, there was never a, a actually a collected edition of the rules in the in the game's lifetime. Uh, so yeah. you, if you think of it as GURPS prior, third edition prior to the compendium coming out. Yeah, nothing, um, nothing's been cross-checked. So e everything was it was in six different books, and e even the published adventures started to ignore quite a lot of the rules. Hmm. Um, th this also meant power creep because it's it's the classic problem: newer source books mean cooler toys. Yeah, um, I, I particularly remember the the Nile Empire, which was the pulp reality that had come into Egypt. Were there, were there too many dinosaurs in that one? Um, that no, that one? was the living land. Yeah. Uh, th this was basically um, pulp reality, as in everybody is either a hero or a villain, and um, I, and um, evil Egyptian masterminds yeah, operating and, out of pyramids. And you have costumed heroes, who, who, oh, yeah. of two-fisted variety, and so on. Um, but the, the, there were two systems in that: the, the the gizmo building system and the magic system, which, frankly, in the hands of a player with a modicum of mathematical ability, were a bit broken. Yeah, I'm, 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 okay, I'm going to take two weeks off from adventuring until I, now I have my invulnerable armour. Mm. Or, mm. yes, I don't like them over there. Blat. Spells. Which were, yeah, not, not I see what, what they intended. Yeah. Some, some of the later books did, did get quite humorous in tone, which wasn't always the right thing. The Nile Empire in particular tended to become kind of a parody of itself. Mm. Well, yeah, starting out with Britain as the magical island of, of whatever it was called. Isle. Isle. Spoke of the Y. Yeah, that, that, that alone <laughs> is not to put my teeth on. <laughs> yeah, but they did black the US as well, unlike oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm giving them points for that. <laughs> the Living Land also suffered from this, that, that the, um, the two-legged dinosaurs, um, the, the, there was one who turned up as a comic relief NPC in a bunch of adventures, and people just stopped taking the, the world seriously. Mm. Yeah, there was a huge supporting cast of NPCs somewhere somewhere out there in the Metaplot. Uh, How Metaplotted was it? Oh, it, it was the one that tried to do a Metaplot with feedback. Uh -huh. uh, I think we mentioned briefly last time, yeah. uh, at the end of each published adventure, 
there, there was a feedback form. Mm-hmm. Say, who did, kicked who lived, who died? Yeah, did, did this particular NPC get converted to the good guys, or did he stay evil and escape, or did he get killed? That sort of thing. Did, did any of the PCs turn to the dark side? And in, in the newsletter, there, there were rumours. You know, it, it is said that X, Y, or Z, and, and players would vote on which rumours they, they thought would be true in their world. Yeah. Well, mostly GMs. Um, and and to, as, as their ratings rose and fell, they, they became either potential canon for later adventures, or we, we will forget about this because it's not popular. Yeah. I, I should point out this was done before the mass adoption of the internet, and I, th- I think it was pretty impressive they got it to work as far as it did. Hmm. Um, I wonder if anybody would do it now. Maybe. It, but it, it did mean there was, there was this ongoing mass plot. Every uh, adventure author, of whom they had quite a few, tended to use their own favourite NPCs. So the guy who was the great important hero last time ten, tends to vanish for the next one. Well, yes. They, they, they did promise a second edition of this game in 2004. And it didn't happen because of money? As far as anybody knows, it's, it's not entirely clear. There, there was a revised and expanded rules PDF released in 2005 as pre- preparation for this, mm. which is effectively the 1.5 edition. It, it, it is the GURPS compendium of the talk system. Yeah. It gets most of the rules into one place, it fixes a lot of the more egregious bugs, it does make things much clearer. I think it is out there somewhere on the net. If you were, I mean, if you were uh, in charge of Building a, building a new version for the modern gaming age, what would you do with it? Well, I would actually like to try running it because I like a lot of the background material. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I like the feel of it, but because I'm me, I would probably start by running, running it under GURPS because that is a, a system with a solid mechanical underpinning mm-hmm. on which I can then build the weird stuff. GURPS already has cinematic rules, they're optional, but they're in sure. there. It already has rules for spending experience points to buy high levels of success on things. True. Wedging the drama deck into GURPS would take work. You'd, you'd have to translate the um, ver- various special things into GURPS terms, but I think it would be doable. Yeah, um, I, I... There's a Reggie Gadgeteering rule set. I wrote it. It's, it's in Pyramid. Yeah. Um, there, there are lots of magic systems, thanks to GURPS Thaumatology. True. My problem would be with... Uh, I mean, my, my problem with multi-world settings is is the interface between when you take something from A to B and how you make how you make sense of the unlikely interactions. It's probably why I've never run the, the Infinite Worlds as a core setting. Well in, Infinite Worlds sol- solves the tech axiom problem by ignoring it. Yeah well I think I think that's perfectly ra- rational. Except when it doesn't. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it says most of the time your stuff will work Sometimes your blast will turn into a, a bow and arrow. We're terribly sorry. Yeah, and, there, and there's no framework for deciding when that's going to happen. Excuse me. The interworld uh, transportation system has a known error which produces a rain of frogs. Yeah. They're not taking this 100% seriously. I, I think this is one of my favourite table titles ever, the fascinating, fascinating parachronic mishaps table. Yeah. And ne- never mind what you roll, the fact that you're rolling on this table tells you the bad news. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of tempted to think about doing something, or you tempted to think about doing something like this with something like Fate. It could could well work. Yeah, well, if I understood Fate better. (laughs) I I, I get the feeling that having a simple scale for the worlds would not quite work as well as having a set of labelled axioms or Uh, effects. now, Now, Talk did have that as well. 
I haven't mentioned them because that they, they weren't as tightly integrated into the rules, but where I was saying, for example, in the Nile Empire, everybody is good or bad, mm. that is a world law. Yeah. And it, it will be true of anybody you meet from that world. Yeah, well, that, I would be more inclined to, 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 to dump the scale and say, this sort of magic works here. Yeah, well, that, that and this sort of social there, there are these limits on on tech and on um, and on uh, on even social interaction. Yeah, if if you were um, running it in something like fate that that supports that approach, then that would probably work very well. The the only downside to losing the scales is um, one of the things you're trying to do in in the difficult campaign, and um, really it wasn't only support for anything else apart from you you are brave heroes resisting this invasion. Um, is gradually turn invaded areas back to core Earth reality. Mm. And the, the way you do this is, okay, it's kind of fluffy, it's, it's by getting people, tell, telling the right sort of stories and getting people to believe in core Earth reality again. Oh, God, it's the, it's, it, it's, it's the, the Christmas Doctor Who special world, or one way it was a, a midget, and, 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 and Martha's going around there saying, you must believe in the Doctor. Oh, God, I hate that. <laughs> Oh, um, but but some, some of the mechanics involved in that uh, do involve taking an axiom up one point at a time or whatever, but as long as you, as long as you could bodge around that, I don't think it would be a major problem. Would it, um, was it, uh, spoiler alert possibly, was it ever revealed who was behind all this fiendishness? Oh yeah, um, they, they did actually publish, uh, but basically they, they, they did complete that default campaign. Hmm. There were very varied opinions of that final adventure. Some people said it was great. Some people said, "Yeah, it's all very well, but it's but it's kind of a um, guided tour." Um, oh, right. It, it, it does involve all of the various high lords, the, the rulers of these invading worlds, being just being killed, destroyed, whatever. Mm. But but at least as the as the thing is written, I think all, all but about two of them, this is done by NPCs while the PCs are watching, which is yeah. not not really the sort of thing I feel. So it was there, and it, it was actually meant to be the lead into uh, the original concept of second edition, which was this is when they were bringing out the master book system, yeah. um, and w w which is something of an evolution of the talk mechanics. Yeah, that was. I, think, uh, I can't remember. There were several several world settings for it. No, was a was a core master book ever published? I think so. And there was a but, uh, but anyway, there was, a, in, there was in, a pulp um, magic and investigation. That world. sounds vaguely familiar, yeah. Blood Shadows, something like that? Could well be. Uh, any, anyway, in this last adventure, they, they had uh, game mechanic conversion to take, take your super powerful heroes into, into this new system, and, and a vague hint as to how, how the um, actual narrative of, of the main Metaplot campaign might have ended. Mm -hmm. But they, even for that, they gave three different options, and, and only, only one of them was expanded in any sort of detail. So I, I, I think people felt it was a bit of a squib, but sales had been falling, and I think they decided rather than just leave it hanging, we will at least end the thing. And I, give them, I give them credit yeah. for that. So yeah, to, to me it's it's an interesting cosmology. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a fairly interesting set of worlds, uh, which was let down by power creeping rules, mm -hmm. and and I think based on another set of rules, I, I I wouldn't really be tempted to run it under the original mechanics, but yeah, I'd, I, I'd give it a try under the original. At least once, to, just to see. Yeah. Well, part, part of the problem there is what are the original mechanics? Because you have to decide: are you going with just the basic set, or basic set plus expansions? Or, or the one point five? Yes. Yeah. Um, 
But I think if you can get a baseline set of rules into it that hasn't been driven by the, the, the lost and more powerful stuff to sell supplements. Is there such a thing? Well, wh wh whether that is the 1.5 or Fate or GURPS, I, I think the problems can be solved, and I think it does, does deserve another look. I don't think it'll happen, but... Um, well, I don't think it'll happen commercially, but I'm still tempted to run it at some point. Oh, wait for the developments. Now we'll move on to something else. Episode 2 of something uh, you mentioned last time. As I said, as I mentioned last time, I am restarting a very old campaign, well, not very, very old, 10 years old campaign, um, set on the world of the Bainstorm, uh, the GURPS uh, default fantasy setting. And um, I've had my first session and it went remarkably well. I managed to um, find my write ups, or at least about two thirds of them. And uh, a very nice uh, member of my gaming group scanned them in and uh, produced a document um, uh, listing most of what happens to remind everybody. Uh, people allowed me to update their characters uh, to fourth edition fairly quickly. And people fell into the characters again and into relations with the NPCs. I also provided a list of the NPCs and what they've been up to. And things are starting to go almost swimmingly. I've thrown, I've thrown in the plot hooks, and uh, I'm waiting to see if they bite on any of them. We have had some feedback on, on that uh, restarting segment. Uh, Owen Smith comments that uh, restarting old campaigns is a funny business. Reckons they have a shelf life of two or three, or at most four years, because once they get, they go beyond that time, people start to have different conflicting memories of what actually happened. And though a campaign log can help. Uh, also, sometimes you get the situation that enough of the players have changed that maybe only a long-term core would have been around that long ago, and you've got a bunch of new PCs for new players. Well, in this case, no. I'm, I'm dead lucky. I'm, 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 I'm trying not to gloat here. But my two groups are fairly stable, and in this case, 100% stable. It's the same people who were playing with me 10 years ago, returning to the same, to the, to, to, to the, uh, same, same characters. I will say that if you wait long enough, their memories will have faded, so they believe what you t what you tell them. <laughs> I mean, Owen also don't wait, that, uh, still don't wait so long until they can't they can't make out what you're telling them. But you know, Owen also comments um, this, this is certainly relevant to some of the old campaigns that I've played in in the Cambridge group. That if key PCs have had their player leaving the group, then you get the feeling that it's really not going to be the same without that particular PC. Yeah, it's um, we, 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 We've lost yeah. one, of, one of our players because she's not really able to get out um, for evening gaming anymore. Um, and basically the campaigns we played where, where she was a major character we're probably not going to get go back to any time. Um, <sighs> my, my, my feeling is that at some point it's, it stops really being restarting an old campaign and one, one has to stop thinking of it as that and becomes a new campaign that happens to be in the same world. Well, I did contemplate doing that um, instead, um, we discussed it last time. Yeah, it's. Um, I did actually try and relaunch this with my other group. Um, they, um, it was I, as a as a one-off adventure. Um, the uh, the setting I'm using at uh, EF eleven hundred 
is they're based on a um, they're based on a pyramid article, in which um, a group of people or a small village, in, in my case, is transported by Bainstorm to another world. My Wednesday night group, I played this with them and I threw them back into the Hypermarine age rather than into it itself. I took a, um, a village based on where I used to live, Bourdain in Buckinghamshire, and uh, threw them back to before um, before the fall of Atlantis, right. um, actually before the fall of the of the angels. Um, <laughs> they, they got to their village priest got to meet and argue with the archangel Michael. When he when he when he, when he said no, no, the world is flat, grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and took him off his shoulder. <laughs> but um, I I did at one stage plan to put that group into the future of the campaign that I'm now rerunning as World War the Next Generation. So I had that prepared and I had that thought out. But now um, it was fairer to go back to the original characters rather than to have them 25 years older in the background doing what um, Forrest Kelly did in the first um, first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. So I should like that in the old age show. Yeah, I, I think um, some of the trick there is, as always, listening to what the players want. Um, if, if there is enthusiasm to go back to the same game with the same characters and you've got yeah. the same players, then, then I think this makes life much easier. So it, it, my, my, my problem is always I've got many more campaigns to run than I have time or player groups I to think, run. I think so. we, all, we, all, we all have really cool ideas. I have, I have, I have notebooks full of really cool ideas that I've got to the... Um, I've got to the yes, shall I put this to my stage, and then it's gone nowhere further. Or it's got to the yes, I think, oh no, there's a major flaw here. I can't do that after all stage. And some some of those indeed are going to be another segment of this show. Yeah, I um, I found uh, that drawing out the maps and getting everything um, sorted is a major help, and it's going to help in getting people visualised and understanding what it was I was saying. And in a few cases, imposing on uh, them a reality um, that is um, uh, what necessarily what I said before. There is something about a map, particularly to an old school gamer, but I think it happens anyway. That says, right, th this is where things are happening. This is a real place. Yeah, it makes it, it makes um, what I'm hoping for. The sort of effect I'm hoping for is, is something like the um, impressionistic maps in. Han. Han, for those of you who don't know, no, provides huge, beautiful, full-scale, uh, full, full details scale maps for gaming in. But it also provides um, impressionistic medieval maps of things which you can hand to the players and say, here, this is what your character knows about the world. <laughs> it's um, more or less accurate, but it won't tell you where everything is to the meter. I have those maps. There's a mountain range to the north somewhere. So yeah, and uh, that sort of squiggly bit means there's probably dwarves in it. <laughs> of course, yeah. dwarves under mountains. But I would encourage uh, those who are under my unusual circumstances uh, uh, to give it a try because, um, yeah, you can do it. And so far, touch wood. Where's the lucky touch? Oh, that's plastic. That's, that's good. <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, it, it's working well. I am going the route of having them create secondary characters for uh, troop playing because shortly missions are going to be shot off here, there and everywhere and um, so I'm brainstorming in uh, a new set of uh, minor characters 
to support the major players, but the other characters. Are, are you are you planning to have this with the original PCs in one group and the new guys in the other, or are you going to mix? No, up? the the what I'm thinking of. Some of the original PCs will stay behind and run the village because they're the great and the good, and they have to. You can't get Sir Guy, um, Lord of the Manor, out, uh, going out to war on every single occasion. But there will be um, things happening to him that keep him, or keep his, his sword edge sharp. Mm -hmm. um, but um, he may send his sister, or his chief knight, or even, uh, or even his village priest out to um, take care of a, a particular mission that's going off meet with other people here, there, and everywhere. So hopefully I will have plot lines that will involve all the major characters and the minor characters coming along and saying, um, yes sir, we're going to do this. And that way you can have the people who are actually sensibly suited for the job. Yeah, that's rather, the idea. Rather, than, rather than all the important ones. Yeah, you can, yeah, yeah. yeah. and I can, I can occasionally send the chief engineer out to do exciting <laughs> things. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely, um, Star Trek The Next, Gen Next Generation is going to be uh, one of the mental models as will, um, well, most um, uh, TV TV shows do tend to be that. I'm not yet fixed on what the end of the show climax is going to be, but I'm going to see how that develops. The thing that strikes me as a major difference there, of course, is that you, you don't have this thing roving from place to place, more or less at random, where, where that needs the plot take it. But you, of course, other things can show up near yeah. it. I've got a I've got a home base. I've got Deep Space Nine, um, but and think uh, that uh, if they have to go off to nearby worlds, um, then then they can. I even have um, a set of uh, enchanted elven trees, which are the equivalent of a landbound star stargate, which <laughs> if they really want to start dialing in uh, random coordinates, they can. Waiting to see if they do it. <laughs> Gosh, we found the world of treacle. Oh. Can, we, can we close it again now? <laughs> ah. Oh, we found the other continent. This is what's on it. Back, back, back towards the game boys. <laughs> Don't listen to this any of my plans. But that's news of what I'm developing. This is a bit of a rant, I think, or it may be uh, what Robin calls, Robin Laws calls in his podcast, the thing I always say. I think I'm going to title this, Is This Fun, Really? <laughs> I've ranted before a bit about what I call the tendency to miserableism in, um, in some games. Now, this is a tendency that's been going on for a while. Um, it's rooted in World of Darkness, I think. Um, where the angst was a big selling point, a selling point I never really understood. It was defined that the world was more miserable than ours. And when, in the old world of darkness, they actually brought out, accidentally brought out a, uh, a line which was optimistic in its basic assumption, which was mage, mm. they immediately made it more miserable. Well, not immediately, third edition. Otherwise, you have no, no excuse to strike your forehead and go, whoa, whoa, was that what you spoke? Did you earn character points for going, whoa, like you did? Probably. For, for going ka-chunk in, um, <laughs> in uh, Feng Shui. Um, and I, I find this a little bit odd. There are games, mostly indie games, where 
the death and destruction of doom are built in. I'm not arguing about fiasco because fiasco happens once and it is is fun and um, and you're not expecting to have a global PC at the end of it. No, you're 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 expecting the whole thing to wrap in wrap in an evening, and uh, and dying or surviving with grace is, or at least with style, is some, something that 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 the that the system and that the movies it, it's it's imitating looks for. Um, but something like Durance by um, it's set in a on a distant world, far beyond the reaches of galactic civilization, in a newly discovered sector, where um, the government back home has decided to dump a lot of um, troublemakers, criminals and uh, other scum, along with a lot of marines and uh, bureaucrats to take care of them and make sure they come out as happy, productive scum at the end of the process. Oh, right, so it's not, not the usual prison planners of we, we hope you're going to die here, it's we do actually want some reform in theory. Yeah, but they've got it wrong. <laughs> Every single world in the, in the way it's set up is screwed in some way. Either there, either there isn't um, a proper atmosphere, or, uh, the survey was wrong, or there are, in fact, hostile natives with strange powers hovering outside fences, or you just can't grow anything, or sometimes all three. And the... The, the, the whole thing is set up so that everybody's dying, everybody's scrabbling for advantage, and the big cheese is on the side of the prison, the big cheese on the side of the, the warders are in a sort of parasitic relationship, and their subordinates in both cases are thinking strongly about promotion by assassination. Right. And this is, I think, and I looked at it and I think, is this supposed to be fun? It does have one advantage, it occurs to me, that at least anybody who's signing up to play this knows what he's getting into. Yeah, but why would you sign up to play it? At least it's not a surprise. All right, yeah. Okay. It's told you, it tells you by the... And then I get to thinking, and this is this is where it comes uh, into a more general application than just new painting, about the place of death and misfortune and tragedy in gaming and in art generally. Well, let's look. I'm, a couple of older games occur to me as possibly progenitors right, of this approach. Uh, and the obvious one, to me at least, is Call of Cthulhu. Now, I know various people play this in various different ways, yeah. but to me, the canonical Call of Cthulhu adventure is the one that has the PCs coming out maybe with their last sanity point or maybe somewhere beyond that. Yeah. But it, there, there will be a high player character death or disablement rate. True. And they will just about succeed. And that that is... It's it's not a narrative I want to I want to go through every time, but it is a narrative that it's nice to go into occasionally. It, it's you know, I, I have put everything on the line. I have lost everything in order to save the world, and nobody will even know about it. Yeah, and that well, the thing is, that's heroic. That's heroism. You make a difference, mm -hmm. um, and and you struggle hard. At the, even in the uh, original form that Sandy Peterson um, wanted to, to to write it in. Uh, where you lose the sanity points and you never ever get any back for for, for winning even the small, uh, even the greatest encounters, mm -hmm. um, which is now called uh, I think the purest uh, option in uh, Trail of Cthulhu. Even that allows you the chance, um, desperately to struggle and desperately just about to overcome the bad guys, and you'll never make it to a second campaign, but um, but you, but you have succeeded. 
you have a chance. That's heroism. It has, your death has meaning. But choosing a campaign in which you can't help but die and die miserably and with nothing achieved. Well, that, that, that leads me to the, the other example I'm thinking of, which is cyberpunk, the way the um, game designer Mike Pondsmith intended it to be run, yeah. where you, you are constantly struggling, you are on the edge, the, the, the only way of getting anywhere is to compromise yourself fatally. Yeah. So you sell out to somebody. Yeah. And the, the number of games I've heard about where this was done is zero. Moral because, death rather than physical death. Because what yeah. everybody did was decide, this doesn't sound like fun, I, I, I want some of these neat toys. Mm. So I, I think that's a game that was intended to, to go in that direction, and, and you, you can see some of the strains of this in, in the later Cyber Generation, mm. where, where it was trying, trying to be more explicitly pushing things in that direction, keeping people hungry. Yeah, but, you see, but, but people just didn't want to play that. Yeah, I, I, I don't see why... The thing is, I, as, a, as, a, as an acting type, I relish a good death scene if it if it has a chance for me to die nobly or artistically or, or somehow look how look how artistically I die as Nero said hey. uh, or is supposed to have um, then then, then I, I, I relish that if I have a if I have a chance to to to, to die well then I'll, I'll take it but dying well involves style or purpose or something I, I I don't get miserableism. I think is, I think there's a, a tendency to confuse simple dying with tragedy. Um, putting on my, my English graduate's hat, um, I, 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 the classic definition of tragedy is a death that has meaning but a negative one, a death that the, uh, somebody who's almost a hero brings on himself. Oedipus, yep. Is a, is a great king. He can't. There's a, there's also the fact he, he he's he's got a fate hanging over him, but but he can't help from asking too many questions, poking around and trying to find the truth when he really shouldn't have done so, and he shatters himself on it. The hero of the Scottish play, whose name I shall not mention because I'm a superstitious actor, is 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 a man of action and courage and determination. And he makes the wrong choices and destroys himself and his his wife, and the, and half the kingdom. You wouldn't feel that she destroys him. She, the woman, tempted me more than I fell. Adam, <laughs> Adam does not come well out of that story. Indeed. Um, um, and, and God asked the serpent, right? Who are you going to dob in then? Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> and Leah and Leah and Leah is a fool, and and brings himself. Predictably, to his own, to his own end. Those, those deaths have terrible meanings, but we now tend to think of simple dying as a, a tragedy, and that a ter- it is a it's a terrible thing. It's a bad thing, but it's not it's not meaningful. It does just because somebody dies out of a way on a far off world doesn't make a tragedy. Doesn't make a story that's worth telling. And I've got a feeling that people are going for cheap shots. I was thinking, reading um, a couple of books, melodramas, um, recently. Or actually, actually, one was a thing called the um, The Elegance of the Hedgehog, which is a very pretentious French novel. Um, 
and the other was something by John Ringo, oh, which isn't pretentious at all, um, in which the, the which major characters, spoiler here, major characters die at the end, and we are supposed to have our heartstrings plucked by the reaction of the survivors to it. I feel it's too easy to do. That's what I, I feel is wrong with, with miserableist gaming. It's too easy to do. The, the it's manipulating as, my feelings. I resent it. Strikes me as some some of the lazy filmmakers' technique. You know, yes, we're going to blow up New York or threaten to, but let, let, let's put a small, adorable child directly next to the bomb, just just so yeah. everybody really knows that they're supposed to feel strongly about this. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know how all this 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 connects up. Since I'm a gamer who I'm a GM who says I'll roll the except for hidden information type roles, I'll roll the dice out front and let, let things fall where they may because I feel that the player characters being in reach of death and disaster um, at all times is part of what makes the game fun yeah but that, that said how often do they actually die this is a thing that I've been trying to trade off not very often but it happens sometimes yeah well the, the, once, once the balloon I had characters within uh, one hit point of, of death uh, mind they're ble- uh, bleeding out whilst the rest uh, fight fight around them and trying and trying to get to them with a healing spell or the or the or the, or the medikit, and that that makes makes matters much more interesting. Yeah, when I, when I look at the campaigns I've been running, I, I would like to have the the feeling that PC death is always a possibility. But when I look at the number of actual deaths, that it, it seems to be quite small. Yeah, you you ran you ran you you ran. Um, uh, for with me in it, um, a, 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 a campaign of Reign of Steel. Given that we were on Earth trying to subvert all those damn robots which were ruling the world, I felt remarkably unthreatened from time yeah. to time. Yeah, you know, work hard on, on, on making making the player characters' lives miserable. Well, we did have we did have one PC kill. Well, danger things. Yeah, and and then then uh, when he got brainwashed and came back in a robot body. Yeah, that was nice. That worked. <laughs> My, it, it, it simply said I could have an excuse to ha- have on my character sheet list Cyborg Jesus. I mean, how often do you get a chance to do that? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Um, I rebelled when I was reading the rules for 2nd edition Hero Quest when it said don't kill anybody just because of a roll of the die. Player characters' deaths should always be meaningful and intended. I feel that the roll of the die, if the roll of the die happens, I, I, it would mean that I would have to deliberately decide. Um, the, the, and I and the player would deliber- have to deliberately decide, yes, the character uh, um, should die now. Yeah, I, I think to some extent that, that would have to depend on the players. I mean, if, if you've got players, and indeed a GM, who, who have all bought, bought into the worldview, then it probably would work quite well, and they will quite happily say, "Yes, I think now is a reasonable time for me to die." But one does risk getting into an adversarial situation. I want, it, I want the adversarial situation to be understood from the beginning. Well, no, I want, I want the possibility of a player saying, um, "Today is a crap day for me to die." That's what the dice said anyway. What, what I'm thinking about here is adversarial between player and GM. Yeah. You, you say, right, I want to kill you off now. And, and the player yeah. says, no. 
yeah. if, if it's the dice, you can at least say, well, yeah, you just took this huge amount of damage. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't want, I, I want, I want, I want, I want my, there is the moral responsibility taken off me and put on the dice. <laughs> that's what I, I, I think that's clear. That's what I want. And uh, that's what I'm striving for. Good deaths and bad deaths in role-playing games, good deaths and bad deaths for player characters and for NPCs. I think it's a, it, it's something that needs to be thought about. And, and death having a meaning, if the dice say so. Actually, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. But I have. I have, on one or two occasions, faced down the fact my character was going to die, and was going to make the ultimate sacrifice. I've done the speech, and everything was satisfied. And then the bloody GM went and saved me, the bastard. And, and I, I was, that's what I didn't mention from talk. One of the subplot cards is a bit special. Yeah. It's called the Martyr card. <laughs> the, the, if the player accepts this card, that character is going to die by the end of the adventure. But there's going to be a but. He gets to choose when, to some extent, and and he gets to do something very nifty as he goes. Ooh. Actually, that's a, that's a good advantage. Is that a good advantage or disadvantage? Well, it's a combination. Yeah. You will know. It's a combination it's, of des- destiny and fatally ill, basically. No, it's, it's a, well, it's a combination of good destiny and bad destiny. I'm not quite sure where the balance lies. You will die before the end of this campaign. But your death will be glorious. Hmm. I wonder if I could con one of my players into taking that. <laughs> anyway, I want this, uh, if anybody has anything new or even coherent to say on the topic of death, then please do write to us. Many more campaign ideas than I actually have time or groups to run them with. Oh gosh! So here are some campaign ideas that I don't have time to run, but somebody else might get some benefit out of. And sometimes they're just very fuzzy, and I have no idea whether they have legs at all. And this is an example. And it's called All Sinners Take Confession. It's a historical Call of Cthulhu game, mm-hmm. and it came from an argument on a message board where people were talking about non-Euclidean geometry as something deep and scary. Actually, non-Euclidean geometry just means it's not happening on a, on a two-dimensional plane. Any spherical geometry is yes. non-Euclidean. All right, go on. Which means any sort of serious navigational calculation is non-Euclidean. Oh, good grief. Go on. So al saw what was happening when he started writing his tables of sines and cosines, and he burned his books and retired to a life of selling honeycakes. But Gersonides was not quite as wise, and so now, now it's the 1400s, European ships are being steered by the new mathematics, and yeah. they're ending up in really rather unexpected places. Oh, no. Go on. That, that is the core concept. The way I see this happening is PCs are going out aboard a ship looking for the Indies um, and finding, well, Carcosa. Yeah. Um, you don't sail off the edge of the world, you sail out of the world. I, hmm. I suddenly have a vision of Call of Cthulhu set in Flatland, or at least <laughs> a flat Earth, where um, is, is it uh, something prehistoric like, um, well, like like Exalted's setting, where the where the climax is um, all this ta- tampering with the uh, with the na- nature of reality causes the world to become curved like it does at the end of the Lord of the Rings, right? <laughs> 
Yes. All right, but you've got, um, instead of a, a, a New Jersey, you have discovered Riley or something like it. There's one obvious influence on this when, when I think about it, which is uh, books by Michael Scott Rohan, starting with Chase the Morning. Oh, yes. Where he integrates this, and basically, if you get onto the right sort of ship with the right sort of people, instead of sailing round the curve of the Earth and dropping off the horizon, you can keep going in a straight line and end up, end up, end up in a world of complete fantasy. Mm. Um, so if, if you want it a bit less Cthulhu-flavoured, that would be an approach to take. Yes, the, uh, they're sailing off to um, the, the distant land where sailing ships are still practical and, uh, and there are still pirates swinging from, from lines um, is, is a whole subgenre, I think. And so that, that, that might turn into something at some point. You? I, have, I have one which I, I worked with for a while. Um, one of my first fantasy love affairs was with uh, Captain Kurt's Dirini novels, mm -hmm. which are set in a sort of... Um, an archipelago which would be the British Isles if it had been detached. Yeah, um, mostly Wales. Mostly, mostly, mostly Wales. Um, in a in a, a medieval universe which has had Christianity, though it's it interacting with a slightly different empire, and a human subspecies which is capable of doing magic. Um, the series starts with the Berini, which is their name, uh, being outlawed in the setting of. Of the novels, um, having set up a, um, a dictate, magical dictatorship uh, three or four generations back, I hate it when they do that, and uh, and uh, having been suppressed, and there are different wizard nations on the borders, and the king has some sort of magical powers, and it's resolving the uh, the conflict between human and Dirini is the is the story. And I loved it, it deeply. And um, there is a role-playing game for it, um, which uses fate. And unfortunately, I find that the magical system isn't really very usable. Though this is pro primarily due to the fact that um, the author didn't really write a very good description of how magic works. She pulled it in as she needed plot devices. Though there is one reasonably consistent summation of that done by the author in one of the add-on books, which I'll lend you. Uh, I've got no, Dreamy Magic, yes. Yeah. I've, I've got it. I, I still could render it into... So what I thought was, having taken a look, look at this and being in need of a campaign, hang on. One of the kingdoms sank. One of the eleven kingdoms um, um, is no longer there. And it's supposed to be the origin kingdom of where the Dreamy came from. So I thought of writing the origin story and combining it with um, some of the legends of Atlantis and um, doing a, uh, a story set just before the, uh, the, the, the island kingdom collapses in on itself, a story set when the Dirini are in the height of their powers, and using uh, some version of the GURPS magic system rather than what is... Um, in, um, in, uh, in fate, I, it wouldn't become clear. I planned on disguise, disguising the ending. The ending of the, the series is fairly, fairly obvious. They they fail, or maybe they succeed. They they, they fail to prevent the, the cataclysm coming, yeah. and they flee flee to, to the main, mainland, and uh, and we, we fade out with them setting up um, slightly broken colonies and magical people um, away from their homeland. And uh, beginning to interact with the others, but 
I was like, it would have been an enormous amount of work, and it, and I was, it started out as inspiration for. I had three players at the time. What can I do involving the three musketeers type thing? <laughs> and I took a look at um, at the at um, the Phoenix Guard. So I think by Dave Brust, but by Brust, Stephen Brust, Stephen Brust, and I thought, hell, I can use a bit of this, and that sort of collided with the dream of my subconscious. It's a nice idea, and I might might go back to it someday. I do recommend slight caution because I I, I ran a game explicitly set in the last days of Atlantis for people this man. Okay, go on. And my objective on this was, was basically um, stop motion animated monsters. <laughs> And doomed, Why? And, and doomed politics and love affairs. All right, things. fair enough. Um, but sneaking round the corner of my subconscious, well, they, they found this ancient tentacular statue, and, and things kind of went downhill from there. And, and the, the, the climactic fight did, in fact, involve one of the characters um, becoming the avatar of Artemis, I think, and and garroting Cthulhu with her bowstring. <laughs> You remember the campaign I was talking about uh, earlier with the, the village teleported back in time to the, the pre-Hiberian age? Mm -hmm. That involved their, them on the instructions of the Archangel Michael giving uh, Cthulhu a thermonuclear enema, which I think is far more effective. My, my favourite moment of that was what, what one of the PCs was a priestly magician and was looking into the, the statue. So this is understandable Gert's magic. Yeah. So he, he had learned history and it's older than that. It's been lying on the scene for the range of the time range of the spell. So then he learned ancient history. It's been lying on the sea for the bottom of the sea for the time range of the spell. Then he learned prehistory. Okay, right, check. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just cruel. Alright. Yeah, no, I, I would have to decide whether if I ever ran this, or if anybody ever did, I would have to decide whether I want the, what what was going to cause the sinking of the kingdom and whether they had a hope in hell of preventing it. Yeah, that, that was pretty much predestined in, in my campaign session. This, this did involve characters who ended up with this, with the skill Beam Weapons TR1 for the Athenian Sun Mirrors. <laughs> it's not as easy as you think. You can, you can melt cards in, the, in, 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 in London with all of those. It's a lot bigger than one trireme can carry, though. What else have you got? Uh, I'm also been thinking about campaign I've been kicking around for a while, and I probably won't run because I, because one of the chaps in the in the Cambridge group may, may run it first, and he will probably do it better than I would. Um, basic concept is life aboard a ship of the Royal Navy or reasonable facsimile, mm. mostly in peacetime. Mm. Um, so there, there will be some hazard you know, um, exercises, drug interdictions, maybe the occasional small actual fight. Um, but it, it's a combination of that and PCs who are trying to boost their own reputations for promotion purposes while still not compromising the success of the ship and the mission mm -hmm. as a whole. Um, and the unique selling point is? Uh, it, it, it's simply a setting I like. It's, it's the, the military structure without the... I, I think there's, there's, there's lots of stuff that one might call shipboard routine that isn't particularly dangerous but is still interesting because it's slightly unfamiliar. Mm. If I'm running this, I'm not even tied to a particular time period. It might be contemporary, it might be uh, historical, it might be futuristic. Um, I think I think you, it's, it's, it not, not to be offensive or inappropriate, but it will be offensive. This is a bit of a train spotter's dream, I think. Oh, probably. Um, 
the, it would certainly be, you know, I, I would recommend that people read the novels of John Winton who was writing in the uh, 60s and 70s, uh, because that, that's very much the feeling I'm, I'm after, but uh, it may well be that there aren't, aren't enough people who are interested, but it's, it's one I'd like to try. I've got one, and maybe we'll talk about this again another time, because I've got a, a well, well, got dozens of things you, you could be doing with that. I, I've run a few sessions of this, Using a, a, a name stolen from my, my own cafe, Daniel James, who stole it from one of his other cafes, called WDNE, which stands for We Do Not Exist. <laughs> Here, but everybody thinks it's a war department designation. It's a game, it's an X Files game set in the 1950s, set in Britain. I, I wanted something of a feel of the. Um, of, of the fiction of British broadcasting in the 50s and 60s but with all the fantasy and and science fiction tropes that have come up since so that you have you know, people well actually they go into their briefing room and say hang on a second the television's in colour yeah. and they, they encounter things like nanotechnology and dimensional warping but they handle it in a British 1950s fashion and presumably on a starvation budget. Well, um, it's not entirely clear where the money is coming from, or who they're reporting to, or um, <laughs> anything like that. But they have a chance to be clean-cut, um, honest uh, British heroes with only slightly, slight quirks and ticks caused by the stress of actually doing this damn job. And I was hoping for an intelligent X-Files, but that might be. Contradiction in terms. It shouldn't be an impossibility. I also have a, have a desire to do an update of Dan Bear, but that was something I tried writing for TV stories. I like, I like clean jawed, honest heroes. I don't want to play them too ironically. Mm. I, I, I think what, what, one of the key problems uh, this, this harks back a bit to talk again is that when you when you've got a, a concept that can be considered a bit uh, funny, at least to some people. It is absolutely necessary not to play it with self-awareness. Yeah, the the, the square-jawed hero must be a square-jawed hero, not not a guy who says, "Hey, aren't I acting like a square-jawed hero now?" True, and um, and it's, it also ties in with what we're talking about about death. Um, the you you the, one of the players' primary means of dealing with death is not to take it seriously. Most gamers react the same way as Oscar Wilde is said to have done. He said that there is probably not a man alive who is hearted enough not to laugh at the death of a little man. Mm. And that's the gamer's standard reaction. It's, it's hard to get gamers to take things seriously. But it, yeah. it's worth the effort. It does stop to feel manipulative sometimes, but it's worth a shot. Yeah. And that's it. And that's it for this month. Um, if you have any comments, any ideas, any stuff you'd like us to do, our previous offers of doing stuff for you, you know, are still open. Um, then please drop us a line via podcast at tekeli.ly. We'd love to hear from you. So until next time, it's good night from me. And good night from him. Take care.